Yo, yo, welcome back to the Horror Babylon Tagalong Podcast. I am your host, Turk, and today I have a guest. Another guest, a pretty cool one. And this one, he is a therapist in training. He's going to be a licensed therapist, but as for right now, he's currently studying still, but he has a book that I'm currently halfway through, and I would definitely recommend it. It's called A Voice from the Inside, from what it's like to suffer religious trauma um, from the inside in a high-demand religious organization. It breaks down tons of things from every aspect of a grown-up Jehovah Witness. He is a psychonaut, so he has his fair share of knowledge when it comes to psychedelics, which is awesome. That's exactly what I break down because that's what's helped me personally the most. He has a few articles that I came across that I've shared on the XJW Trips subreddit, uh, a subreddit dedicated to Jehovah Witness, religious trauma, ex-Jehovah Witness community, but more focused directly into psychedelics. So with Jeffrey Wallace, if you see some of his articles on that subreddit, I'd definitely give him a read. There's one main one that's a four-part, super, super good. And there's a separate one on its own that I've shared on there as well. If you could just find the Jeffrey Wallace on the subreddit XJW Trips. I definitely, definitely recommend that as well as checking out his book. I will leave some info in the notes if there's anything else you want to check out. So let's just dive in. I'm stoked for you. Yeah, man. Thanks Will for having come me. On. I'm looking forward to chatting about it. Cool. It's awesome, man. From what I read, there was a, I think three, no, there was a four-part one and then a separate one that I read. Hmm. And that yeah. one stood out. It was it's awesome. Like your experience about the talking cow, that was funny. That was <laughs> that was awesome. That's exactly what it. Like, just psychedelics, like anything can happen. I I mm. I swore I went through the scene selection of my life type of thing, and it was like mm. what? Yeah. And what's your experience? What are you using? What was that? Well, I said, what are you using? What As- what uh. As in psychedelics? Yeah. Oh, mainly psilocybin. But my okay. most profound experience was through LSD. Mm. There were some gel tabs compared to just the little squares. And that was just like shit. I couldn't believe exactly how the next morning I was just rethinking and evaluating emotions and behaviors. And it was just like looking at your your literal subconscious and like, damn, either I keep living a lie or change now wow and it was epic it was awesome and since then it's been such a fascinating topic and here i am just what started as rebellious fuck shit is now the most therapeutic and helpful thing that's happened to me wow yeah i think that's i think that's it i mean i think that's what i mean obviously people have been using this for for a very long time but to incorporate it into therapy and 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 to recognize that yeah it's, it's like a fast track to processing some things that sometimes are hard to learn. Uh, we're all trying to learn new things and to have a, a conduit to make it happen faster uh, for you to reach these sort of insights that might otherwise either never happen or take a very intensive you know, therapy or meditation to reach. You can do a little quicker and you can have some help to integrate it too. Yes, a little quicker and all that. It's it's so cool. And that's the main thing that stood out and in my head, I guess, from all the different times that I did it with friends and being able to just evaluate it and then the noticeable change. I don't even know how to describe it other than someone that's 
gone through that experience. Like, ah, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's cool. It's cool. And there was one article I did see. I think it was part of the four part, perhaps. But are you still currently physically in mentally out or have you made your way out completely? Yeah, at this point, I've made my way out. I mean, I think uh, you're catching me at an interesting time because it's uh, this is all fairly new. You know, I was living the PMO life, you know, I was exploring that as, as a reality. And, um, but again, there were some things that I couldn't see and, and, you know, some changes that were made and, and yeah, now I'm out, of course, not officially. I'm still trying to maintain the relationships that matter to me. Uh, but yeah, move, moving away from obviously attending the meetings and having any, having any share in it. Um, yeah. So that's where I'm at now. Gotcha, gotcha. Dang, that's insane. And and of course, there might be some, depending on the family, I've seen it of all sorts, the shunning, there's light shunning families that are just like, yeah, my kids DF'd or something. I'm disfellowshipped myself. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of there. My parents aren't that much of scumbags, so they'll still talk to me and all, but it's very cold. It's like running into an ex-girlfriend in the hallway at, in high school or something. Like, it's just, hey, how are you? Good to see you. Oh, well, that's yeah. nice. How's that's Ashley? Really and then that's it. That's really just hard. Yeah, it sucks. It's shitty, but but and I think you're right. I mean, that's what it is. It's the intimacy. It's the lack of trust. And yeah, um, you know, as you as you start moving, you know, what I'm experiencing in real time as you start moving away, um, I I realize how little trust I had for outsiders, uh, even as after even after I had sort of cognitively deconstructed this idea of the there being a division between the world and Jehovah's Witnesses, insiders and outsiders, uh, yeah. you know, and being able to see humans as humans, even though I could see that cognitively, still in my body, the way I interact, there is this level of fear that's hard to put your finger on. And, um, yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's almost organismic, you know, it's been programmed for so long. And, and yeah, to, to experience that that movement from the intimacy that you have. I mean, because as Jehovah's Witnesses, you have significant intimacy, right? With your brothers. You really do. You you really do. Um, uh, But to be on the other side of that, you know, with, with friends and family, uh, when it's, when it's turned against you is, is crushing. It is. It is very nuts. It's, it's that emotional attachment because you don't, you don't know anyone other than on the inside, everyone you work with, everyone you, you, you interact with other than school and stuff and i remember as a kid and you were you born in uh, no but very young very young okay yeah. so you were still a little little kid and that's you were right. probably preaching with your parents and, that's right okay mm-hmm. cool so we have we're similar in that case but i remember when i got baptized that's like i think i was i don't even remember uh, 16 i was in high school and the only reason i did it was just the pressure like like there was always that nod that like, so when are you going to do it? So when are you going to do this? When That's are you going right. to do that? How was, did you experience that? Like just some sort of pressure? I'm sure some is more than others, elder kids and stuff. I, my dad was, wasn't part of it for the longest time. It was just my mom, a single spiritual mom, bringing all these kids to the meetings and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I got that same sort of pressure. Uh, and you know, it was um, a well-meaning mentor, frankly who was, uh, you know, uh, being presumptuous, <laughs> of course, uh, uh, on my life and pressuring me to make decisions that I'm sure he didn't realize the long-term implications of. But, uh, or 
yeah, I, I'll give them that benefit of the doubt. But the point is, yeah, it's this put your arm around the young man, the young Timothy, and and guide him towards spiritual success, you know. But that, of course, framed a different way is is undue pressure uh, on, on somebody who's not fit to make such a life-altering decision at such a young age. So, yeah, I experienced that too. And I've also, you know, of course, served on elder bodies where there's a lot of encouragement. Uh, to start training young, start training men young, um, start paying attention to them, the fatherless boy, the son, yeah. of, the, the son of the unbelieving father. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah. I'm screaming for help. That's right. That's right. So that's, um, you know, being on elder bodies where, yeah, they, you know, really think that they're doing a, a good thing for these people. Uh, but it's, uh, again, a presumptuous spiritual authority. Yeah, spiritual authority. Damn, that's funny. And there's there's dumb little things that they like long hair. I'm never allowed to have long hair. And then as I left, I grew my hair out down to my shoulders just because I could. That's right. It's, just, it's so funny. It's just stupid little things like that. Like, yeah, that's right. Something that shouldn't even be anything is created amongst this organization. Like this. Oh my God, it's laughable now, but. That's what the trauma part comes in, all these little distinctions. Like, I grew up in the 90s. I'm 29 years old. Mm-hmm. So Pokemon and all that stuff was a huge no-no. Yeah. And even just a simple dumb kid's card game was so demonized. And then That's these right. kids these kids are just into cartoons, are led to believe that there's something ultimately wrong with them because they dig Pokemon. Like, what the fuck? Yeah. It's, it's yeah, funny. They're... Yeah, and you're right. It is laughable at the time. Uh, you know, now you can laugh about it, but at the time, it's it's oppressive, and you don't realize. Very. You, you know, I think I'm even as I as I move away from it, and I explore my interests and my passions in a, a way that you know I'm, I'm a mature adult, but I'm still exploring them in, in a way that I've never had the opportunity to, and um, that is you, you start realizing how how restrictive the creative freedom is um, to experience as you just sitting down and and playing Pokemon with friends. Um, These are little things that are taken from you. A lot of people will bring up holidays, you know, Oh, witness children are so, you know, must feel so restricted. I never felt restricted um, for not being able to do holidays and things. But as you start, you know, moving away from the group, you start to realize how much you've missed out on, you know, how much that you've oh, yeah. you know, been able to experience. Yeah. Definitely. It almost feels like our lives are hijacked in a way. Mm-hmm. That's how I take it. It's just like, like, damn, our, the, for, the, the ground was laid out and it's like, this is the only ground you're allowed to take. And it, yeah. it sucks. Well, it's, you know, I'm fascinated. Of course, I'm still fascinated with, with the reality that if you never leave, it doesn't. Right. If you never <laughs> leave, it doesn't suck. <laughs> There's still, there's Damn. still this well for for some people for some people who will who will just never break from that tribe um will never experience the friction or if they do it's quickly you know repressed and they will carry on and they will live and they will die in that framework and yeah it they found a, their happiness. It's it's a cultural. It's it's just a societal system, you know. Just as if you were to go to a, you know, pardon the comparison, some sort of, you know, uh, the primitive society that 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 is different than Western progressive values, you know. And everybody there just lives as if it's 
life. Um, it's only when there's this rub against the outside world and, and, and when the, you know, the, the, the style of thinking doesn't, can no, is no longer tenable for whatever reason mm -hmm. um, that, it, that it, you know, you got to go through this process of breaking from the tribe and entering into a new cultural system. But again, it's fascinating to think that some people will just never do it. Yeah. Some, some people are just incapable of being able to look like take a step back and actually look at the scenario for what it really is rather than what they're these lenses that were put in front of them i guess the cognitive dissonance part mm -hmm. it's it's nuts that whole area of cognitive dissonance just blows my mind because as a kid i grew up in the state of utah so it was mormon lds yeah. mm -hmm. everything and that alone was a, a i was able to just i was pretty much it, Mormons, same shit, different smell. It's literally right. the same thing. It blew my mind. Mm -hmm. It just hurt sometimes to think of how similar they were. All their emotion is directed to their God, just as my parents' emotion was 100% directed to Jehovah. Yet they point fingers at each other and they don't hate. But oh, it just I'm glad I, I grew up in Utah when I did just to experience that. And that helped me just break away to see this. Like, we're cattle. Like, damn. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's nuts. It, it, yeah, looking back on it, it, it really is. And, and the amount of, uh, I would say, the ability of the human mind to handle dissonance. The, the, I would call it even a strength of the human mind to be literally rubbing up with people, rubbing arms, rubbing shoulders with people every day at the grocery store, at school, at work, who live so differently and live in a different reality Man. And, and, and still being able to maintain this very restrictive reality that chafes against the logic of the rest of the world, uh, or at least yeah. the, 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 the greater fishbowl. So it's, you know, that's, that's really a strength. I would, I would even call it a strength of the human mind. Of course, it's, it's to our detriment sometimes. And, and my experience was where I just... I think I just had read every book that the organization had ever printed. You know, I was extremely studious and, um, you know, I, I lived it, I lived the life to its fullest extent and I was ambitious about it. And, you know, I was the guy that had read the both volumes of the inside book and the proclaimers book. I mean, I loved it. I loved it. And, um, I was the person that people would ask about theological questions and, um, you know, just hit the end of the library. There was nothing left to read. It was getting repetitive. And, and as I started reading other material, oh. I, ran, I ran up to, into this cognitive dissonance just too often to the point where I couldn't get 30 pages into a nonfiction book without, uh, you know, rubbing up against something that, that was causing me to have real doubts about my way of life. And it was, it just became untenable. You know, everything was poking in, everything was poking in on the, on the, the framework by which I was living. Man. That's funny. That's true. That's how it all works out. That's nuts. And a lot of people will say, too, that it's uh, uh, about, for others, I mean, I think my, my journey, just because it's who I am, uh, you know, maybe just my sort of uh, analytical bent, but for mm -hmm. others, it, it's, it's human relationships. Uh, I think that's a lot of what does the waking up for a lot of people. They start realizing that 
wow, these outsiders are, are humans like me and I, I can't tolerate hating them anymore. Yeah. Hating them. It's uh, like, it's, it's a sub, uh, how do I put it? It's like a closet hate. You're nice, but That's you're right. not, you're not polite or you're well, polite, but you're not nice. No well way. Put. Well that's a better that's the way i like to put it this is like a mask but there was that was what 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 you just said about the repeat the repetitiveness mm-hmm. i grew up in the spanish-speaking congregation and the book of daniel was one of them the greatest man to ever live and it was just how many times are those books going to be thrown at us <laughs> and i was thinking and i've been out for almost 10 years now and my brother my oldest brother he's a he's an elder mm-hmm. and one thing i told them we weren't arguing we we discuss things, we talk, but I know to stand my ground because at some point they'll just pull up a wall, close their ears, and walk out. Cause That's right. The, I I know myself because I was in that scenario too. I I I still remember those emotions of I'm right, you're wrong. I'm I'm not just right. I'm certain because mm-hmm. Jehovah yada 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 yada. Mm-hmm. And when I told my brother, I was like, well, I left almost ten years ago. It's like I know. I know everything that you know. I still know everything that you know. What new anything can you bring to me that will help me? Because I know exactly how you feel. I know you're doing it out of love, but you're not, you're not giving me anything. And at this point, I think I know more because I looked at the other side of the coin. And then that's when he got all spooked and like apostate literature. And it's like, Mm -hmm. well, like, hold on, give me a sec. But Mm -hmm. It's just the repetitiveness. It's like, how many times are you going to study that same book? I mean, how many times are you going to read the Bible? I mean, yeah, dare, that I, too. dare I be so blasphemous? <laughs> but, For real. But, but literally, how many mornings am I going to wake up, read a chapter of the scriptures, as I was told to do, and meditate, daily on, text. It, and, and meditate on it for 30 minutes and surround myself in these, in these passages and, and look at them upside, downside, inside and outside as we were instructed to do, you know, as, particularly as teachers in, in the congregation. Um, yeah. And, you re, you know, later I realized how obsessive that was. And, and the experience you're having where as you start to make decisions that don't line up, um, the tendency that everybody has to assume that you have somehow forgotten the scripture. You have somehow forgotten this passage. Um, and the need to remind you um, is is wild. I think that one thing that has helped me to navigate my life is, and this has been a, a real growth pattern for me because in the early days, I rejected it all um, vehemently, you know, like uh, just taking a, a super critical intellectual stance against this, uh, against the Bible, um, against everything that was taught. And then as I came around, I started realizing that, you know, this was a a spiritual framework just as any other. Um, And they're all around us. I mean, obviously there's peculiarities to Jehovah's Witnesses, but, you know, it's, it's a form of spiritual communication, which happens in every religion and every community, even that isn't religious. So to be able to use the Bible again in my conversations with people, and this isn't to prove that I'm right, but to move them to action um, has been quite empowering um, because what is being used as a weapon against me, I am able to use to motivate and to 
forgive me still being an elder, but <laughs> even to teach, even to teach my witness friends and relatives how they need to treat me. <laughs> based yeah, on, just based, basic based human respect. Own. That's right. And, you know, the passages are, even, even if you take them for what they are, which is a book written by some guys a long time ago and full of stuff that doesn't apply and is unreasonable, um, there are spiritual passages in, in the book, um, just as there are in all holy books, because they fill a human need for, for spiritual expression or creative poetic expression of the unknown and of, of deeply held emotional concepts and, and human concepts. So there's still much of it that can be used in, in motivating people, in comforting people, um, yeah. and, in, and in helping them to see when they need to take a step back. You know, and that's been, that's been interesting. Yeah, that's <laughs> the hardest part, just being able to take a step back and look at yourself. And just like you look at anyone else, no, no filter, no ego, just straight raw. And it's, it's terrifying. I think that's why people have freakouts when they eat psychedelics because they don't want to accept who they are like oh my god i'm an asshole like yes you are it's like i i saw it mm-hmm. and it's either change or live that lie and i, I think some people are too involved with maybe they don't want to accept certain aspects or behavior kind of like uh right now with the mormon religion there's a huge the LGBT debate mm. with the BYU, the all Mormon school. And I grew up in Utah. So I, I, I know a lot of friends in that same situation and tons of families and it's nuts. It, it's hurtful. Cause it's like, there's, they, they don't see others as humans. It's either you're with us or against us. And if you're against us, you're dirt, you're nothing. And, and these are humans. These are people we're talking about, but it is a very, very red state. So I just, I could, I understand, I guess, but, well, it's nuts. And, yeah, oh, and something that you alluded to is, is being able to see yourself in its grotesqueness. Um, and I talk about that in my book because I think that that is – I think that's the hardest part of, for, for many people to leave. Um, you know, if you ask them, does this make sense? You know, in private conversation, a doubting, a doubting Thomas and, and his spiritual advisor – yeah, you know the story of Thomas. They can, but the point is that sometimes witnesses can level with themselves. Well, you're right. I don't understand why it's this way too. Or you're right. That passage doesn't make sense. Or you're right. That's a con- contradiction. Sometimes they will level with themselves, but it's very, it's in private and it's between very trusted friends, and um, so they can recognize that some of this stuff really is, you know, not jiving with reality. Maybe not wholesome, hundred percent. But I think the hardest thing and what stops people from making the split is to look at oneself and saying, wow, if this is not ethically sound, if this is not logical or, or if, it, if it's you know, manipulative or what have you, then I'm complicit. And that's, that's the hardest part. And that, I think, is what stops people from making the break is because when they, when they look at themselves and say, wow, that means I'm complicit in this, whether it's the self-policing or the creating of a toxic environment or, um, or the 
you know, when it comes to matters of life and death too, that's, that's where the real break is because to look at that is traumatic. And then that was my experience. I didn't need psychedelics to get there. Um, I had, a, you know, traumatic basically break from reality. It was, it was probably fairly close to a psychotic break, certainly a nervous breakdown. When I saw my years of complicity in something that could really have been damaging to people. And that was the part that, um, that shook me to my core, you know, man, that's the part that, that's the part that sucks because you got to live with that now. Yeah, for real. Being able to see it and acknowledge it rather than just throw it under the rug in your mind and let it bubble up years later or something. Yeah. And, that, and that's, uh, with that's not, Ooh. you know, the, the crisis of conscience book, um, I need uh, to read that. You do, you really do. You, you're like it, ex-witnesses need to read that because this is a man that was who loved the organization, you know. And, he was a Bethel guy, wasn't he? He was on the governing body, and um, dang, he's up there as high as he yeah, can get. That's right, and and he was very much in love with what he did and the organization and the movement and everything it meant. Uh, but he just came to this line in the sand where he realized we're not being honest with the lay people. And um, this is the difference, I think, of the experience with, you know, many ex-witnesses and and those who have been in oversight and, and you know, like in my, in my situation, oversight and, and uh, you know, being being trained for for traveling work and things like this is that you start you start realizing that your responsibility to what's going on is more, you know, even like the scripture says, he who is given more, more is required. You're in a leadership role now. Um, yeah, it's a job that you pay with your emotions and your life, and you get paid in this empty shell of a human that you're left with. And it's like an uncareer. But you also have to take responsibility for what you're teaching, more so than when you're just a listener. And that's you know, like in, yeah. in um in the book Crisis of Conscience, you know, that's what it was. It's just like, okay, you can you can teach whatever you want. This religion can teach whatever you want, but what am I gonna teach? And can I live with myself? Can I sleep at night if I teach it? Dang, that's a I, – I have the PDF file. I just I, – I like your book. I saw it today, and I, I bought the audio book, so I'm pretty stoked to get that started. Oh, nice. And nice. I wish I could physically read books because I have the, the PDF for Crisis of Conscious. I just – I don't have the attention span. I could read 10 pages but be thinking yeah. about skateboarding or something. I hate yeah. it. <laughs> no, I hear you. Uh, yeah, so well, audiobooks is the way to go for me. It is, yeah. And the the guy who did the the reading for my book, he did a really great job. So, so sweet. I'm stoked. It. I'm stoked to check it out. On a good day at work, I'm gonna pop it in and just run right through it. All right. And I had a question about we we brought I, I brought a Bethel. Did you have any sort of relation to Bethel? Like, did you go or did you know someone that was personally there? So that was like knowing a celebrity in a way. Um, I mean, I never served a Bethel, but, you know, been many times, uh, close friends with people who, who are there. Uh, You've been? There. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but cool. not, not, not to work, but yeah, I, I went, you know, I've done all the you tours. You visited. And, yeah, visited and done all the tours and been, been with all the, um, you know, people that, that have various responsibilities and, and, you know, fairly high responsibilities and talked and sat and had dinner and, you know, 
Those were cool. My... So you got you got the Bethel experience. Yeah, those are my people. But <laughs> <laughs> nice, how did we nice. get, how did we get on this? You were asking about that. Um, the Bethel thing. Uh, I guess just because of the Ray Friends, I I I was asking if he was uh, he, he was a Bethel guy, and you mentioned he was part of the governing body. That's right, he was. Yeah, so he was on the governing body for a time, and uh, I'll let you read the story. It's profound. It, it really is profound because he documents he documents how he came to the, the crisis that he was having, and also how he tried to communicate it, and um, how he tried was, to raise the raise the awareness. Of, was he just shut down and covered up? Um. It took time. You know, there was obviously some listening ears who were sort of ambivalent and, again, recognized what he was saying, but um, didn't have the courage to, to stand up for what he was saying, didn't have the, the courage to stand and say, no, we do need to look at this, you know, as, as a governing body, and we do need to make some changes. And then, uh, you know, later, later he was, you know, he had to leave, and he had to leave of his own choice but when you get that far it's very difficult to de-escalate without getting some you know significant pushback but you know because people obviously want to know why are you doing less um and it's very difficult to communicate that without just you know drawing some line in the sand as you say yeah sam there's a big struggle with that with, with tons and i just some people can achieve that level of awakening without psychedelics i don't think i could have done it without on my my dumbass closed-minded jehovah witness brain but i'm glad it came across it's not yeah and it's not once awake always awake right i mean yeah for real exactly i could fall back into that default mode or something yeah we're always you know that's that's the great part about psychedelics it's like okay when is it time when when do i know there's some learning that i need to do and sometimes we get this sense that we're locked up and there's something that we're just, we just don't understand. And yeah. that's, that's when we dip back in. That's true. That emotional attachment, like, like since you, they're the only people, you know, you work with, you go, you're only around. So when you do leave and you're like, wait a minute, this is my life. It's like, there's a huge sever in emotion because you have to, you don't know how to make, friends it's just these are the only people you know you work and like most people i'd say maybe even awkward and stress anxiety like crazy because they don't know how to the social aspect of just humans being humans and there was one person i know from an old congregation that he's just a deep alcoholic because of that i that's what i assume so because his, his dad is an elder and one of his one of his brothers is gay and his dad had to step down as an elder because he still has relation. Like he's in contact with his son, even though he's disfellowship for being himself. And it's just, this family was breaking down to like nothing. This, this older son that's just drinking his life away to try to kind of, I guess the trauma is what I assume. So I could just that's be right. wrong. But the, and then the other brother that's gay, I think he's doing better. It's just, they believe in the faith. It's just, I don't even know how to put it, but the dad's such a good human being. He just, like, I believe in it, but I'm going to step down because I love my son. It's like, yeah, I'm not going to tell him who he is, but I still believe in love Jehovah. That's so right. they're just, they're conflicted and it sucks. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's sad. Yeah, it, it really is. And, and I think that it's significant 
the, you use the word Jehovah, and, and I talk about this in my psychedelic article of how I saw my vision of Jehovah. This was partly given to me by the organization, partly self-constructed, you know, a, a, an illusion that brought me comfort and strength, right? This was my God, Jehovah. And the, the vision of what I experienced in my mind when I prayed every morning and when I prayed every evening and three times at meals and then whenever I was nervous, that, that, that sort of manifested itself in the psychedelic vision and then ruptured in front of me. And I had this experience where I forgave Jehovah <laughs> or I, I forgave those who had created him. I forgave myself for creating him and whatever part of me still thought that there could be a God figure or something. I realized that it wasn't as strong as I ever thought it was. And I forgave it and I released it and it, it just, it, in the vision, it just let go it, of that explode. It just exploded. Um, and nice. shattered and, and fell below me as if I was Ezekiel, the prophet version two or something. But, um, it was a profound vision, but the reason I talk about this is because the God Jehovah um, is given and associated with the organization as if, and they do a really good job of this, you can only serve Jehovah if you're in the organization. We're the only mm -hmm. ones that put it in the Bible. Um, we're going to fight to the death that it's the correct translation, even though there's plenty of reason to think that it's probably not. Right, we're gonna to fight to the death that it's Jehovah with a J and an O instead of Yahweh. Yeah, to, and and we're going to own it with the organization, and we're gonna tell you no other organization on earth uses that name Jehovah. We own the God. Yeah, you can we're only so distinct. We can only worship him here, and so you think about this man with a, with a gay son, and he wants to love his son, but the only place he could ever worship his God. Is it the Kingdom Hall? Where else do you worship? Where else could you worship the God Jehovah? Yeah, Kingdom Hall. Those are the only places because that's the only, every everything else is false, of course. Yeah. Now, if you have come for people who have transitioned into Jehovah's Witnesses from a previous faith structure, they may have a God that they remember from before Jehovah, right? That they they incorporated. They had a, a comforting God image or or. Um, experience god experience that they relied upon and then when they came into jehovah's witnesses they morphed the two together but then as they leave jehovah's witnesses they could still have that old god that they had that maybe they remember from a long time ago maybe even a childhood god but for individuals like you and i who were raised in the organization the only god that we have ever had is the one owned by the organization so it's very you know it's very understandable that those types Damn, of individuals for real. Will, will end up, you know, either agnostic or, or atheist because there's no other comfort other than that. And that's why it's so traumatic. You know, it, there's, dude, there's, yeah, there's no previous comfort, uh, God comfort that existed before that. And um, that was probably the single most traumatic loss of the whole experience for me was was losing Jehovah was, in fact, my best friend, illusory, but was, in fact, that best friend that they made us believe that he was right damn and i i'd still remember those emotions of this 
I'm trying to think of how I may have deconstructed it, like visualizing that emotion, this archetype of Jehovah we're taught to build up. But it's like I don't, I'm, I don't consider myself an atheist, but I'm definitely not a believer. Mm-hmm. It's like I, there's some people that I've met that are atheists, but they're so in your face about it, just like in your face Christians. So it's like yes. you left one organization just to go to another organization, but I think all that resentment and negative emotion is what's fueling it. So I was like, actually, I don't feel like I fit there. That's right. I, I didn't. I didn't have all that negative emotion anymore because I think I went through my own "I forgive you" moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm all right. I'm doing another interview. Sorry, sorry. You're good. You're good, ladies. It's cool. It's cool. Sorry, yeah, my, so I my think... roomies. No, that's cool. And not to, you know, um, cast any judgment on those who, who really have settled with the fact that there is no God and, and that's all they need and that's all they'll, they'll ever experience. Certainly not to cast judgment on that. But I do think, as you say, when it is when it is rooted in anger and pain and loss, that's when you're having that experience that you said where, where atheism can be a traumatic response. Yeah, for real. Um, to to the loss of of God and, and hatred for those who, or anger at those who have given false hope, um, until it moderates. You know, for some, for me, my experience was it moderated into agnosticism. Um, for some people, no, they'll they'll be atheists forever, but it but it will moderate in terms of, you know, perhaps not built upon any sort of reactive bitterness or anger or sadness and and. Yeah. That's that's I think important in recovery. It really is. Definitely is. I would definitely agree so. So when it came to psychedelics, how were you introduced to them? Um was it the same situation just a bunch of friends? It's like, "Hey, look what I got. Let's eat this." And and then it went from there. No, you know what? I went to a bookstore and I read um No, no, that's not true. I I I read uh, How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Oh my God, I love that book and right, him. Yeah. yeah, so that was, I think I was, I was just reading a lot of, you know, when I finally let my mind free, I was just reading a lot of philosophy and psychology books. And um, that led Sweet. me to How to Change Your Mind, which really piqued my interest. And then I read a couple, couple more books and then I just, um, you know, just grew my own and, and I did it therapeutically because of course I'm, I'm interested in, in psychology and, and psychotherapy and emerging you sort of research in uh, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy. So I, I tried to do it from a therapeutic standpoint and uh, made sure to integrate it made sure to be overseen by, you know, uh, professionals. So it was a little less of a hobby. It was, it was a little That's bit more. That's cool. Like a, That's awesome. Like, yeah. Like a, um, clinical experiment for me right and how you mentioned that you bought a book i do remember that was the first article of yours that i read you went and bought the book and then you read it and then this person that from the bookstore was like oh that's a good one but i'm too scared to try that's right yeah that's the one that i was like holy shit this is a great story and that's the one i posted on the ex jehovah witness reddit page oh, for those if you. anything and if anyone reads it i hope it helps them like it helped me that's the, oh, that's, that's the main great. reason it's there. It's there just to be there. Yeah, thank you. I mean, it's like, to me, it was fear. I started, I talk about this in the book a, a bit in early therapeutic days. Was I didn't understand the difference between guilt and fear, which, which I still actually think that the two could 
could be very similar because I think guilt is just the fear of, of public shaming. But the point is, I didn't really have a taste for fear. I didn't understand it in myself. And so there were obviously tons of fears, fear of the world, fear of uh, rejection by Jehovah, fear, fear of rejection yeah. by people. And so when I started getting this taste for what fear was, I started understanding what, it, what the experience of fear was in consciousness. I started, right. active, I, I started just with full awareness, identifying my fears and actively pushing against them. And so when I heard, you know, when I hear someone say, I'm afraid, well, you just have to stop and think, well, wh why would I be afraid to know myself? I, I know mm -hmm. from a health perspective, this is not damaging. I know for all the research says this is a safe chemical to use. So what is it I'm afraid of? And like you said, I'm afraid of knowing myself. And that's the kind of fear that, at least at the time, well, still, but certainly at the time I was in the mode of that's the direction, go that direction. If you experience the fear, you have to move towards it to, to really understand yourself and, and everything that you want to learn. So that was, that was my introduction, you know, pushing against fear. Pushing against fear. And that, I think that's the whole point of psychedelics. It's being able to, to see the fear in the corner rather than turn away and pretend it doesn't exist. It's look yeah. at it, acknowledge it, and, like, tell it, like, nah, listen here, motherfucker. I'm in charge. Like, that's right. Like, let go of that control. There's this cool quote I love. It's uh, give up all control and you will have all control. Wow. And that makes sense now. And it's like, oh, my God, like, mm -hmm. it's, it's stupid riddles, but it makes sense. No, it's, 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 profound. Ah. It's, it's profound, you know, and that's the other side of the coin that you see when you, yes. when you do psychedelics. Somebody asked me who was nervous about trying psychedelics and he, he deals with sort of his addictions and his challenges. And he said, um, is it going to be is it going to make me a better person? And I remember well, saying to him when you're after an, a psychedelic experience, you realize there is no better, right? You just realize that there's two sides of everything that you're seeing and there's a place for everything that you see and experience. And that allows you to, as you say, release control, um, to try and find a place for, you know, you're not no longer trying to squeeze energies and passions and, and tendencies into boxes and, where there, where there's so much friction and and, and uh, conflict in the mind, you're realizing that everything is as it is, and there's a place for it. And then you can go about your life, bringing that balance, manifesting that balance that you sort of experience in the trip. At least that was my my experience. Heck yeah, that's that's awesome. I think that is the answer. Like. That's cool. That's awesome. It's crazy. I'll just this this chemical structure has such an impact on this wet where biological computer we call ourselves human. It's just crazy how it can affect so much, which is what fascinates me the, the most. How it changed, or I guess the want to change has to be there. It's not like it's just gonna. Like how you're that that dude said, it's like, is it gonna make me a better person? It's like, well, it's not gonna do anything. Like, it's all up to you. Like, you're the one really, I guess, living your own life unless you want to live the lie and or change. Mm -hmm. I guess or back how to about, that little. How, 
you know, how about you could just continue living your life right the way you are, only feel differently. About yes. It. <laughs> yes. You know, be you to the fullest. That's, that's who I respect it. more is the honest person rather than this someone just pretending to be something like you're trying to be something else in order to be liked. So you're going to be liked for who you're not at that point. It's all fake. It's all fake. That's right. And, that, and that's, that's where the hurt comes. It is. And, and this is in terms of my personal story, you know, looking back on the book and where I was and writing as a PMO, um, realizing how that scenario um, disconnected me from my honesty. Um, in my writing, I think I was being, I was attempting to be very honest. Um, but uh, I, I did realize that in my, in my normal day-to-day life, there was a real disconnect to where I, I almost lost the skill for authenticity. Um, Damn. And I didn't have it as a witness. Or actually, that's not true. That's not true. I think that I, I was fairly authentic, but cramped in a, in a, in a little tiny box. Um, but then as I, as I released my mind from the tiny box, then, it, then it's a matter of, all right, how do I bring my self-presentation in line with what I truly feel and what do I truly feel? And um, that was a skill that I neglected to work at when I, when I was a PMO. And I feel like now I'm having to, to play significant catch up on how to be honest, how to be authentic, how to be congruent. Um, authentic, yeah. You know, doesn't come easily. It really doesn't. It doesn't. It's definitely, it's doable. It takes tons of hard work and being able to put a spotlight on certain behaviors and don't let the ego kind of just rub your shoulders and nah, you're right. It's okay. You're the winner. You're this, you're better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's hard to squash it. Yeah. Really. I did have, I did have one other question. Books. Are there any specific books that stand out that have just paved the way just for self-help and improvement? Um, well, I mean, in terms of the XJW literature, it's probably really important to read Franz's book. And I, I also found um, it really important to dig into the Gentile Times Revisited, which I, I talk about in my book, which was the book that Franz read. And it was, it's a, by a, um, a scholar who just looks again at the 1914 situation and the destruction of Babylon and, and the timing and the dating and all that. Um, and to understand the story of how that all went down back in the seventies, how that, how um, it was brought to light and it was quashed um, for the sake of an organization rather than truth. It was, it's important because it, it's straight up apostate literature, right? It's straight up, <laughs> uh, you know, it's not hateful by any means, but it does certainly say, wow, there is an element of deceit here. Whether the motivations may be good intentions on oversight or blind on oversight, but there is a level of deceit here. How far does it go? And so it's important. I think it's important to, to read those for, for real curious minds. Um, and then, of course, I, I always go back to um, Marlene Winnell's work on religious trauma. I think that's uh, I'll really have to important. check that out. Yeah, because she she speaks. She worked with many 
uh, ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, ex-Mormons, ex-Muslims. And, um, you know, she just, she breaks down all the many different experiences when it comes to um, fear, guilt, sexual shame, um, things like this, you know, not, not having been able to plan for a future, you know, looking ahead to a future that you never thought was going to exist. These are very common experiences. And, um, I think Mm. it's, I think what was her name again? Marlene Winnell. Marlene Winnell. Cool. I definitely want to look at that. And then my, my book draws from Lifton's framework on thought reform. So, you know, when you wake up from this, I think you realize, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses turn and immediately turn off when they hear the expression brainwashing. And frankly, it's not a, <laughs> like, like a very intellectual word. It's not a very like clinical word. But yeah. when, you, when you exit a situation, you realize something's going on here socio-psychologically that creates an atmosphere that absolutely is not normative. It is not like it is on the outside. And it does make you just wonder, you know, what really is going on here? And I think it's important to, as you're deconstructing, to really understand how those environments create themselves, what natural human desires and natural human behaviors contribute to organizations and groups of people that end up in this sort of thought reform situation. So it's good to, you know, you don't, I wouldn't necessarily recommend going down the really hard, like sort of anti-cult literature, because the reality is that we all lose ourselves in movements all the time, whatever it is. Oh Um, yeah, definitely. But I think it is good to sort of go through the process of analyzing just so you don't pop into another cult or just so that you don't, um, you know, it's just so that you can sort of draw some connections to understand what happened to you. Um, because you know, we lost ourselves, at least for me, I lost myself and I lost my ability to think independently. And then I then regained it and lost my ability to, um, commune with others again which I now have to start learning on the outside, how to give up my independence of thought and allow it to bend again um, in a different yeah. way, but, but, but also with some boundaries. And these are skills we, didn't, we weren't trained with as Jehovah's Witnesses. And, uh, no, not at all. It's all repeat after me. That's right. Yeah, so there's, there's learning to be done. Tons of learning. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Are there any other psychedelics that you may have dabbled into that may have helped in a certain way. Cause in my case, psilocybin mushrooms helped me love myself acid helped me love everything. And then MDMA Molly helped me love others. Wow. wow. So this, that was in my case, and they're all psychedelics of their own kind. And then mm-hmm. marijuana is just a mild one. And I, 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 I do smoke marijuana. Yeah, but I, I don't have experience with um, psychedelics outside of psilocybin, I mean, and marijuana. I, I've heard it said, and I think it's definitely true for me, that marijuana can get you in touch with your shadow. Um, Ooh, some jung. Yeah, and um, I've certainly experienced my worst trips with marijuana. 
Um, oh. Yeah. So I don't know if that's particular to me. I've heard others say it. Um, but, you know, uh, approaching on the, uh, you know, the, the dark side of the psyche. But yeah, that's that's all my experience. And then and then psilocybin, which is very, you know, for me, it, it's about it was about the mystical. It was about reclaiming the mystical experience from an, an organization that had usurped it for me. And, yeah, um, that's badass. I like that. That's an awesome answer. It's not like I, I have tons of rave friends that that's they go to these raves and they they do it to to get fucked up rather than to deconstruct and heal and stuff like I like it. That's what I love it with to help me find who I am. Nothing against what they're doing. Yeah, that's cool. right. I mean, no yeah. shame. Some have people fun. just want to get fucked up. That's cool. Go yeah, ahead, it's like, know? have fun. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather yeah. go into the wilderness and just sit there and think and just dive deep into myself. Nothing yeah. against them. That's awesome. By all means, I support the shit out of it, but yeah, I guess two different me. paths. That's it. Yeah, yeah that's, that's it. just me. It's yeah. funny. That's great, man. That's great. Well, I mean, keep at it. I mean, I'm, I'm still exploring. I haven't, um, you know, I have, I hope to do a DMT, um, experience in June and, um, you know, that, that'll be new. And again, it's all about what we can bring back for from it. I mean, what, what matters to me is, is, okay, I'll just share something with you. This is philosophical. Take it or take it or leave it. Heck yeah. Um, there was a brotherhood in the organization and I cared very much for it and I connected very strongly for it and I had an intense love for it. But then I realized that it wasn't a real thing, but the feelings that I had that I had developed for people were very much real. Um, this was my deep care for others, my love for others, my ability to be, cautious around some and embraceive of others, my desire to care and, and nurture some. Um, these are all parts of who we are. And I started to realize that, you know, if there is no congregation, then everybody's a congregation. And again, forgive me for, for being philosophical, but I started to see, No, I love it. I started to see the whole human family. And then when you really get out there, you know, the higher animals and, and, and everything, you start seeing it as your congregation. And it allows me to, to move in the world now and still have that part of me, the, the Jehovah's Witness part of me that, that was good, the Jehovah's Witness part of me that was, that was honest and caring and loving and kind and, and now share it with everybody because, you know, they're, they're, it's the congregation of the world now is every everybody that I meet is like is like that brother and sister that I used to meet when I travel the world as a Jehovah's Witness. But now they're right in my backyard. It's everybody. It's everyone. It's not yeah. just this the world exclusive is, team. The world is my congregation. That is awesome. I love that. There was this theory I like uh, this weird one I there's this comedian I like, Duncan Trussell. And the way he he's just some raggedy ass, stony, silly, crude humor type idiot. But mm -hmm. he I guess for he dipped into was Hindu Eastern philosophy mm -hmm. or Middle Eastern philosophy. Sorry. And 
the way he described it was the sock puppet theory. And I liked how he put it, like the reincarnation thing, as in, from our standpoint, we could view it as Jehovah. Maybe that is what this idea of what God Jehovah is. Mm-hmm. But this idea of God Jehovah at some point wanted to experience love and physicalness that it split itself into us us humans mm-hmm. the reincarnated form like we are this god it we are extensions of it so in a way it's like if you're mean to someone else or an asshole then you're just i guess that's their view of karma you're just doing it to yourself like it's the background in the foreground is all the same so it's like this sock puppet we're just arguing with ourselves but if you treat everyone as if we are a God or Jesus, it's like, you're never going to cause anyone harm. You're going to be good to your neighbor. You're going to show love. And it's this congregation. Everyone is this congregation. Yeah. If we yeah. treat it that way. That's right. Yeah. And th- there's that funny saying, right? When a, when somebody from a Western culture says that they're God, everyone thinks they're a megalomaniac. But yeah, <laughs> if a Hindu says they think they're a God, then everybody says, Oh, you finally figured it out. Like, yeah, you're like, oh, there you yeah, go. There you go, right? And that is you know, awesome. just the classic the classic namaste greeting in Hinduism is um, you know, the god within me recognizes the god within you. That, that's yeah. the, the, the translation of it. Yeah, and you start realizing that Joseph Campbell has some great theory, great um, uh, philosophies that he draws from eastern spirituality about how um, you know, the globe is, you know, we're all made up of the same material and the grow, you know, obviously we, we decompose and we become the, the plant that yields the apple that the next guy eats, you know. So you really are looking at yourself when you see another. And um, you really are learning about yourself when you learn about another. And you're also teaching them if, if you get out of the way of yourself. Yeah, there's a magic to that. And that happens in real time in every in every interaction, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. And when you do take your DMT trip, I would love to have you on again if you're willing to. Yeah, absolutely. Tell that experience. That'd be be awesome. Mm -hmm. I've never done it myself. I read all about it. I know exactly what it is and what it's the strongest psychedelic there is the most helpful and therapeutic, I guess, from what I've read and there's been tons of reports of like seeing the mechanical elves or just gnomes yeah. in general and stuff. It's funny. I think that I I like that idea. It's funny. And it's a part that I like is because a friend of mine, he ate mushroom psilocybin and he was in his backyard just tripping. Mm-hmm. And he says he remembers seeing these little pointy hats running around his yard. And that was the closest to the gnomes he said he got to, but he said he saw these what people explain as i guess gnomes or elves and the beings the beings whatever it is the entities right right. and he's like i just saw these little red pointy hats running around my backyard like what the fuck just left and right just running along about that now i'm gonna get afraid (laughs) oh it's so funny but there was another there's this other guy like aubrey marcus He, he talks about tons of his dmt trips and he was in brazil once and his shaman was doing this little like he had like a maraca. He had this little melody going to keep everyone in the circle calm here. We're all here now. And everyone had this shared experience where they saw these friendly little gnomes come into the circle and enjoy the little singing tune. 
And then the shaman at one point was like, all right, like, thanks for coming, but it's time for you to go. And they understood that and kind of just went on their merry way and took off. And everyone oh, saw wow. these little gnomes. Like, what? That's interesting. Like, That's so funny. But like, I wonder if this has anything to do with Christmas and the past. But I have seen something about the Amanita muscaria, the, the Super Mario looking mushroom that's red with white dots. And Well, I don't know about it. There, that one's a, it's not necessarily psychedelic. It's. It's it's it grew in Utah where I grew up. So a friends and I we picked it and I looked it up, did research, and it's considered like a euphoric Xanax rather than a mental trip. It's more of a, a physical calming. body, yeah, calming. But I guess the story comes from uh, elk, elk, not elk, uh, reindeer tribes way back when, and they used to do these shamanistic rituals with the. Amanita muscaria, the red and white mushroom, and these, I want to say elk, but the reindeer, these reindeer would eat these, and the, they would dry them up in the pine trees, so they look like ornaments, they would hang them over the fireplace to dry them as well, so there's this idea that Christmas, the Christian Christmas we know of today, may have started from these shamanistic, it's, it's funny, it's a good, it's a funny story, but it's also a stretch, but it's just fancy that it's cool. I like the idea though. <laughs> that's great. That's great. Like that, and then Christ, modern day Christianity took it over, and it is what it is now. And yeah. there's also this awesome book by Brian Murarescu's his name. It's called The Immortality Key, and it has to do with psychedelic origins in the Christian Church, like way mm. back when in the Roman times, where mm. they would drink wine, and uh, there's there are traces in the Louvre of old jugs that they've collected from archaeology that traces come up with psilocybin. So when mm -hmm. they're doing their Catholic sacrament type deal, they're drinking these bits of mushrooms. So in the way they're having their own therapeutic awakening and right. in time, it kind of got watered down to what Christianity is today. It's an epic yeah, I mean, book. It's, it's nuts. I mean, if you read, if you, if you take a trip and then you go back and you read John's book of revelation, you see it in different right you start realizing yeah. <laughs> this that whole thing is a dmt trip yeah so right you know you start realizing the... that could be you know and just the this the spiritual experience that you have there or i think can also be reached with other forms of mysticism and meditation and stuff is um you know i sort of i sort of see it as when an individual experiences that they have the challenge of communicating it with others and sometimes i think that has led to the great world religions and some of these yeah books, you know just humans trying to make sense of reality and the that's world right. around them and this is the result all these different religions doing their best yeah that's it damn just human behavior that's insane <laughs> that's cool that's cool well dude we've been talking for well over an hour just now and that was awesome i think yeah, that'd be thanks, a great Eric. spot to caught it yeah great thanks thanks for letting me on the show and and uh, all the best with your podcast Thanks. Uh, that was awesome. I've learned a lot just from your end as well. And some new books that I myself am like, I'm going to dip into. It's awesome. Thank you so much. Cool. All right, man. All right. Later. Have All a good night. All right. You too. Bye.